Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB, aka Danielle Bezalel. Let's get into it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Sex Ed with DB. Today, we talk all about queer inclusive sex ed and how that should be the norm in all sex ed we teach. We start with two time guest and one of my favorites, Andy Duran. Andy is a Bay Area native, sexual health educator, and the education director for Good Vibrations. As a trainer for over 15 years, this California bear cub and proud blue-collar dandy loves providing accurate and accessible sex information with the hopes to arouse curiosity and spread truth. We then have the incredibly bright and lovely Fatmata Ba. Fatmata is a peer health educator at The Door, a center of alternatives. In a space dedicated to approaching youth development in a holistic sense, they relish in the chance to broaden young people's ideas around sexuality. Let's get it going with Andy. Thank you again so much. Um, As I mentioned to you before, we're so excited to have you. We love you. You're a celeb of the podcast. We think you're amazing. Um, And we would love for you to just kind of start out by saying your name, a little bit about your background and your job title and what you do. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so I am Andy Duran, uh, also known as Educator Andy. Uh, I'm from Oakland, California, and I am the Education Director for Good Vibrations Bayland. Amazing. Um, and what did your sex ed look like as a young person? Um, and specifically, what, if anything, did it include about sexual orientation and gender identity? Ooh. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. Sex ed for me um, did not include very much about uh, queer identities, about sexual orientation, um, about gender at all. I think my sex ed, I, I'm going to be honest, you know, growing up in the Bay Area, it, it was still pretty advanced. Uh, mm-hmm. than what I hear that, and what I see other states and uh, other uh, countries, especially uh, discussing. But um, even with that, it wasn't as queer inclusive as uh, as as we would like. You know, it, it definitely had elements of SCI awareness and pregnancy prevention only, um, mm-hmm. and uh, so no information about. Uh, Anatomy, pleasure, physiology, um, relationships, uh, anything that would be uh, a positive. (laughs) Right. Everything was kind of how to not do something, how to not catch something, how to not... Uh, get pregnant and um, and so there really wasn't any uh, any information about hey these are different identities these are some uh, ways people express that um, you know the kind of cool introduction to sexuality and uh, and sexual health and wellness as a whole like wasn't there mm-hmm. yeah and I think you're right in that that is pretty common for like most people. Um, and I guess I just wonder what what do you wish that you had learned about sexual orientation and and gender identity as a young person going through school? 
Well, I think that, you know, often people talk about, um, you know, should sex ed be taught in schools? I absolutely believe that it should, but I don't think that's the only place that it should be talked about. Um, but I think it's, it's something that, uh, is a, is a great opportunity that we have as we're teaching people about important things that they're going through, um, to also be inclusive about, uh, the experience physically, emotionally, um, as well, and to prepare them for uh, a lot of the a lot of the actions that they're going to be engaging in, or a lot of the uh, the conversations that they might be hearing, to so make sure that they know that they have a safe space to ask more info if they have questions. You know, so the first thing is making sure that people feel like they trust you to mm-hmm. ask questions. Uh, to if people think that you're going to provide them with, uh, you know bad information or no information or judge them for the questions, then you already have a bad uh, kind of, you know, kind of foot to start on for, for this pretty vulnerable and personal talk conversation. Um, right. So that's, that's the first thing. And then uh, other than that, you know, age-appropriate sex ed is, is, is available in, in all the different kind of uh, age groups or um you know, grades that are out there. And so, you know, conversations on consent, conversations on boundaries, uh, body autonomy, uh, body uh, image, and uh, kind of some basics, you know. Uh, It's okay if you have a discharge. That doesn't mean you have an STI. That's common. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, you know, more information. One of the things I, I hear a lot is a lot of uh, people get seg- uh, segregated into uh, kind of boys-only classrooms, girls-only classrooms, which, first of all, is super inappropriate because right. those, those aren't the only identities. Um, but also, then they only learn the information as it pertains to their identity or their body. Um, and so uh, we have a, a huge amount of, of men in the world that know nothing about uh, female anatomy, that know nothing about menstruation. They know nothing think about right. um, any of this and so and then ultimately become lawmakers and uh-huh, um, uh-huh. you know and so I think that uh, we're doing a huge disservice by splitting up who gets to learn what and um, and by not providing the facts and, and making it mandatory for everybody to know to ensure that they have the best kind of opportunity to to explore themselves. Totally. Yeah. Wow. What you just said about lawmakers, I'm just like, oh, shit, you're totally right. Like, these people know pretty much nothing about female anatomy, like you said, because the only way would be for them to seek that information out. And I feel like that is very rare um, for people in power to to seek that information out. Um, and, I so think, and I think that at a certain age people think that they have all the information they need and they stop Mm -hmm. seeking out anything else. Totally, totally. Um, And in terms of specifically sexual orientation and gender identity, um, what do you think that looks like in in queer inclusive sex ed? How is it evolving in terms of teaching uh, young people and adults about different types of gender identities and sexual orientation? and, And yeah, what does that look like to you? So, when I was uh, in high school, we had a speaker come to our class and, and talk to us about uh, the local LGBT center and, you know, that uh, to kind of do some anti-homophobia, um, 
you know, kind of information. And we got to meet and talk to uh, this. Uh, actually, it was a couple of queer people. It was a panel of queer folks. And um, and that was this really amazing experience for me, not only as a young person that was questioning my, my own identity um, and exploring my own sexuality, um, but also for the folks around me to know that if I came out later in the year, they already had a little bit of, of education um, around, you know, queer identities, around trans identities. And so I could kind of refer back to that um, and expect or hope that, that my experience would be uh, received well. And so I remember that being a really just kind of um, validating opportunity for me to just feel like, okay, they're listening to this person. They're asking good questions. It's not me on the spot. And now I feel safer, uh, kind of trusting the people I'm sitting next to every day, five days a week (laughs) for several years. Um, right. And a little freer to maybe let them see those sides of me. Um, so that, so again, just, Awareness and uh, visibility is huge. Is a huge impact. Um, and going into Absolutely. more specifics, you know, I think if you're going to talk about uh, anything, you know, where it's anatomy or um, sex ed in your in classrooms, making sure that it's not just heterosexually focused. You know, um, talking about pregnancy prevention is primarily, you know, talking about. Uh, okay, the penis goes here, and then the sperm comes out this way, and then this is how babies are made, and this is why you don't want to do this. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's very reproductive-oriented only. Um, there is no... Because they're avoiding the conversation of pleasure, then they completely avoid the conversation of queer identities because there's no, uh, in their mind, uh, view of a reproductive, uh, you know, kind of concern. But mm-hmm. <laughs> one... Queer people can still uh, get pregnant. Um, you know, there's lots of different kinds of couplings that people can make as queer people. Um, mm-hmm. And two, that's not the only thing that people are doing when they're having sex. So can we talk about, you know, all of the other concerns that are beyond just penis and vagina play? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And, and so in terms of, um, like, the actual sex act, that's a really good way of being like, well, yeah, there's not only one way for people to have sex. Um, And how about in terms of gender identity? What are some, like, ways that you recommend, like, folks talk to their kids or young people or other people about different kinds of gender identities that exist? So there's a really great book that we carry that I adore, um, and it's called Red. Uh, it's a crayons uh, journey, I believe, something like that. And it, it's a story. It's a it's a kids' book. It's illustrated magnificently, and it's about a red crayon that, uh, or I'm sorry, it's about a crayon that has a red label. Oh, um, okay. But is uh, only able to draw blue, um, and. Mm-hmm. And all about how every time somebody's trying to, you know, use it to draw red, it, it's not performing well, it's not doing it, and how it wants people to understand that, you know, that's just not 
I'm blue inside. That's what I do. And maybe right. I just labeled wrong. And it's so beautiful and so easy to understand. And it's so simplistic that, um, you know, this is something that you could give a, uh, a young person. Let's say you have a, a trans kid coming out in your life. Um, and you know that they have siblings around that are confused by that. And they're like, mm-hmm. I, you know, my, I don't know what to call my, my sibling now or what mm-hmm. to do. This is an excellent way to kind of explain, um, you know, this is uh, how they feel inside. And you're like, oh, okay, cool, got it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if this book was just on a bookshelf in a classroom for elementary school students to, to look at or discuss, that would be just this immediate way that people can kind of understand it so that later in life, as they start to kind of interact with more people and ultimately, uh, you know, explore their own theory of gender, but also meet people that are expressing gender differently than they may see normally in their life, they can go, okay, like the book, you know, like the mm-hmm. crayon, got it. And it, and, it, and it makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, we see a lot of this happening right now on uh, things like Sesame Street with the adding of um, characters that are autistic or that are adopted or um, that are immigrants and and really kind of showing this representational uh, kind of concept of these are people in your school too. These are people Mm -hmm. in your community too, and they have stories as well. And I think that we could do that easily with showing trans folks, whether it be, you know, trans uh, young people or, uh, you know, having just awareness and celebration of, you know, trans celebrities or having books like this that just explain the process so that people understand. It's just a basic kind of understanding that people uh, are different, and let's learn about those differences. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that so much. That just warms my heart. Um, yeah, because every bookshelf should have books like that that talk about different kinds of identities. And, you know, just like you said, like it can, of course, be appropriate for kids, especially when they're connecting the dots about, you know, a crayon and a label compared to a person um, when it, it totally does make sense to to use in that way, which is wonderful. Um, switching gears a bit um, about STIs. So I think, <laughs> again, just, just a bit. Um, I think that there's a really common misconception that certain people aren't at risk for STIs because of who they have sex with. So, for example, like people with vulvas who have sex with other people with vulvas. Um, can you talk about this kind of like vital information for queer youth in terms of, and just people, queer adults, um, in terms of safe sex and who can and cannot spread STIs and STDs? Absolutely. So I think that, First of all, there's a lot of confusion about uh, the various SCDs and STIs that are out there um, and and how they're contracted. Uh, so a lot of people will assume, okay, these are fluid uh, passing um, STIs only, or um, this is something that would only happen if it's uh, coming from sperm or semen, um, and and not necessarily uh, the awareness of skin to skin contact. Um, spreading of STIs or um, STIs that are spread orally or other things that aren't just solely based on penis and vagina intercourse. But this is a great example of when uh, sex ed only talks about penis and vagina intercourse, 
then that's the only time you're learning about STIs. So you're not learning about them from blowjobs. You're not learning about them from cunnilingus. You know, you're not learning about them from anal because you're not talking about any of those sex acts in class. Right. Um, and so, so all of the uh, focus is I only can catch something if I'm having that type of sex. Um, and, and, and that is a huge disservice to our community and especially to um, not only queer folks, but people that are having uh, other types of sex other than just penis and vagina sex <laughs> and, and are not. Which a lot of people are having. Absolutely. So, um, you know, concerns, um, you know, that I often hear, uh, you know, people are not aware of, Using dental dams. Um, I know that's mm-hmm. one of the things that, you know, people listening to the podcast now are probably like, Ugh, you know, but um, <laughs> dental dams are really fun and really sexy. I'm just going to put that out there that mm-hmm. um, if you're having sex with somebody, you should be pretty enthusiastic about the act that you're doing. And there's really not a lot that can interrupt or mess that up, mm-hmm. um, including a very thin layer, uh, you know, of uh, latex between you. Um right. But, um, you know, if someone is concerned about spreading, let's say, um, oral uh, or skin-to-skin contact STIs, let's say herpes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, let's say um, HPV, uh, you know, if we're talking about, um, you know, um, things like crabs or other things that are just like right. maybe like less talked about, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. um, people have a, a better awareness of, of kind of some of the concerns that are there. I also think that people are very focused on uh, signs and symptoms of SCIs. Like I would see something I would know. Mm-hmm. Um, this is such a misnomer. Um, you, you often do not know if you have an SDI. Um, that's why checking, uh, being tested is so important. Um, I was lucky that my high school had a health center that did SDI checks and testing. Oh, that's um, so awesome. Super amazing. Um, but I know that's not the case everywhere, especially places that are abstinence only, um, you know, in their conversations, they're certainly not going to support you in, in getting tested. But the reality is that, you know, SDIs are not something to be afraid of. It's just something to be mindful and aware of. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the same ways that we, you know, protect ourselves when we go out to try not to catch colds, oh, okay, I'm going to take an emergency, I'm going to, you know, like, but right. also if I catch one, I'm not going to, like, be too hard on myself because that's life and I did want to go outside um, and engage with people. STIs are the same way, you know, mm-hmm. like, we should feel comfortable in engaging with other people and also knowing what the risks are in those particular acts and then making those decisions on, okay, I'm comfortable with this risk because it's low risk or, you know, I, I, I'm comfortable, but you're not, okay, so we're going to use this, this uh, dental dam or we're going to put on some gloves or what have you and just kind of having those conversations. So one of the things that people often don't you know, take into account is that 
STIs can be spread from more than just penis and vagina sex. STIs can be spread orally, through fingers, through toys. Um, and so we always want to know as much information as we can about uh, what STIs can be spread and how, so that that way we can minimize that transmission and also just ensure that we are playing safe and having a lot of fun. Uh, there's a kind of a joke that, you know, if people want to have sex like a porn star, that they need to get tested regularly and share those <laughs> results and communicate with their partners. And yes. it's entirely true. Um, but that's one of the, the reasons why um, people in the porn industry are uh, often have lower risk of, of STIs than, than folks that are not are because they are having those conversations and getting tested. Um, so people think the sheer number of people that they have as partners would increase that. But mm-hmm. uh, honestly, it, it, what you can do at home already is just go get tested and, and communicate and you're doing a, a huge service to yourself in, in preventing the spread of STDs and STIs. Transitioning a little bit um, into talking about kind of like non-binary identities and and pronouns. So I think a lot of people, and and pronouns in general, even with people who don't identify as non-binary, but I think that a lot of people don't really understand the importance of pronouns for some folks and really struggle um, specifically with using correct they, them pronouns. Um, I think they have trouble because they, you know, just forget or they don't spend enough time and effort to practice. Um, And I was just wondering if you could talk about pronouns in general um, and why they matter as well as why they specifically matter for folks who identify as they, them. Absolutely. So pronouns are super important. It's how we communicate with each other and how we refer to each other. And when we are not respecting the pronouns that somebody is asking us to to refer to them as, uh, we're already kind of letting them know that, one, we don't see you this way, mm-hmm. um, and, and two, uh, we don't really care to try to see you this way. And so that doesn't mean that Mistakes don't happen. Of course, mistakes happen. Right. People accidentally use the old pronouns, especially in that learning stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my mom will accidentally call me every single one of her other kids' names before she remembers who <laughs> I am. That happens, you know, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's also you know kind of human. Um, but when we're not trying, or when we're avoiding it altogether, we're saying so much to that person about mm-hmm. how we we don't really see all of them. And, and that is huge. That's so, um, that's so painful. I actually just did a workshop this weekend, uh, for young, uh, queer and trans youth, uh, and a separate workshop later for their parents. And it was really amazing to see this group of supportive parents, you know, piling into a room to ask questions on, like, how they can better support their children um, in their trans identity. They're like, I don't know any of this stuff. They know more than me. They're looking online. I thought I needed to do my homework too. What can you tell me? Like, and it, and it, it's that's that's the difference. It's like knowing that if they accidentally slipped up once, I'm sure their kid would be, you know, feel the pain from that, but also know, oh, you know what, Dad's trying. Like he he's been mm-hmm. really good. He went to that conference. You know, he's been like my ally. You know, in all these ways. And so, in a lot of ways, 
uh, you know, practice makes progress. You know, I'm not a perfectionist, so uh, I always think yeah. progress. And, and really, the more that we can do to practice that, whether it's, uh, you know, the coworker that, uh, is using they, them pronouns or our own children or our partners or, or anything, you know, they're, you know, these people are everywhere. It's important to, to prepare for that and to acknowledge that this is something we didn't learn as, as folks in school, you know, mm-hmm. we didn't learn about, uh, you know, alternative gender identities beyond just, uh, cis male and cis female. We didn't learn about, you know, uh, you know, pronouns for for non-binary folks. We we didn't have that. That doesn't mean these people weren't there. Mm-hmm. They were there in the right time, all along, all along, feeling the pain of being called the wrong pronoun or or not knowing how to find identity and community with others because there wasn't this name for it. But now that we have it, all they're saying is, "Hey, can you actually use this because it feels so much better for me." And Mm -hmm. we should all go, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, we got Mm -hmm. you. And do that. Absolutely. Yeah, and like you said, like, I love that practice makes progress. I think that's so beautiful and such a great uh, phrase because I think it does take folks a little while, but the fact that, you know, those parents went to that conference and are actively trying, like, means a lot, I'm sure, to those kids. Absolutely. You know, and with they, them pronouns, you know, I often hear the, oh, but it's not grammatically correct or things like that. And I mean, honestly, if you are standing beyond or behind grammar as your defense for hurting someone's feelings and disrespecting Mm -hmm. them, like, like that, you know, that's the larger message right there that we should be talking about. Not the, you know, oh, but it's technically okay. Or, you know, in some cases we do use that they, them pronouns. If we're talking about, you know, no, like Mm -hmm. just stop the argument, stop the conversation. You're talking about hurting someone. Like, why? Why are you defending it? Um, so, um, for me, they and them pronouns have been really easy to, to use for other people. Uh, well, let me clarify. Not very easy, uh, but mm-hmm. easier than uh, some of the newer language that's been created, like uh, Z or here, which, you know, is an entirely new vocabulary to take in, um, mm-hmm. whereas they and them... As a queer person, I often use they them pronouns when I didn't want to tell people that I was dating someone, uh, you know, at the, at the time of the same gender. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I had a girlfriend, you know, I'm a trans man, and so at the time if I were um, identifying as a lesbian and I had a girlfriend, I didn't tell my parents, you know, oh, I'm hanging out with so-and-so and she and I are doing this. I would say, right. you know, oh, I'm going out to meet up with a friend and they're going to pick me up and we're going to go do this and then I'm going to go to their house. You know, I was very... Right. <laughs> very vague. Very vague, exactly. So in a lot of ways, that holds this kind of sweet queer history spot for me that that I, I kind of still enjoy, um, you know, keeping they and them in, in the lexicon. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely think that it's ultimately about practicing and about showing that you care. And it's not just about doing it when they're around. It's about doing it always because mm-hmm. this is how that person identifies. It's not just them being sensitive and saying, you know, please use this around me. It's mm-hmm. this is me and when you are referring to me, refer to me in such a way. And I think that's so important. Absolutely. Um, 
Can you talk a bit about the concepts of gender fluidity and non-binary identities and how it feels like younger generations, like Gen Z, we're hearing, you know, like all in these articles, like Gen Z, they're all gender fluid and non-binary, which obviously isn't true. Not everyone identifies in that way in Gen Z, but I do think we're seeing more um, of those identities and more outward identities of of non-binary and gender fluid um, nowadays, uh, you know, like that in terms of folks who are out and folks who are like able to be who they really are in that way. Um, and can you just kind of talk about those identities and why you think, you know, the younger generation is, is kind of taking hold of that a bit more? Absolutely. So, I mean, with any generation or any kind of time period, the youth are going to bring it forward. They're going to, they're going to say, you know what? We looked at at this, and uh, we think we can do better. And and I love that. I absolutely love that. Even as somebody who's aging, and you know, and in my mid thirties, and I feel sometimes like, hey, wait, that wasn't the way we did it. Like I have to right. take a step back and go, you know, and maybe maybe they need something different right now than I did. And so, mm-hmm. um, so when I see the younger generation, you know, when I saw this room full of of young trans kids yesterday mm-hmm. and this weekend, you know, and they were just so like powerful and so proud and so strong in their identities. Like it gave me so much hope for, mm-hmm. for the future and so much pride, um, in kind of, uh, even the tiniest role I could have played in, and making it safe enough in my generation for for mm-hmm. students now to to do this and uh and so as a young queer activist you know and trans you know GSA president and all of these things, you know, I remember being the lone wolf in my school um, mm-hmm. on that topic. And so, and now people are really seeing themselves and they have something, you know, they have the internet, they have social media, they have the opportunity to see themselves all over the country and the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think that's so beautiful. And like I said, with they and them pronouns, it's not new. It, you know, like it, it's that we're creating a space where people can stop hiding Mm-hmm. And that is the most important thing to recognize is that we aren't, um, you know, uh, we're not trying to, um, like, it, it's not a new concept. <laughs> no one's, mm-hmm. no one's like, oh, you know what, like, 2019, like, let's come up with some new genders just for shits and giggles. Right. Um, it's, it's not a new concept. It's, it's, it's always been the case. You know, many cultures have, have always seen this and, and people are just going, you know, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Like we, we see each other now and know we have the numbers and we know that we hear each other's stories and we are demanding that we are represented and uh, represented and respected finally. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, those parents in the room, they didn't, you know, cause their kids to be trans by, by talking about trans identities, mm-hmm. you know, with their children. They, they didn't create, you know, a generation of trans kids. They, they are supporting and protecting their trans kids. They are learning about how to raise trans children and they are, 
finally kind of in a place where uh, there's this awareness and there's this support within each other. Even the parents had each other to kind of fall back on and go, yeah, like, you know, buying Packers is hard, right? Like, <laughs> uh, and it's, and it's great because, uh, you know, even still now, but 10, 20 years ago, you know, I was the lone wolf, but there were also lone parents out there mm. that didn't know what to do or how to deal with it and, uh, you know, probably didn't handle situations in ways that really supported those lone wolves. So now really all we've done is we've created a community, uh, but the people have already existed. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm, so powerful. Just going to let that sit for a hot sec. Um, so the next question that we have is about asexual and aromantic identities. And um, I feel like these identities can often be forgotten or erased um, for, you know, for lack of talking about them, especially, obviously, you know, we were talking about queer sex ed, and there are very few things overall that get taught, depending on where you are, obviously, in the country, um, regarding queer sex ed, but specifically, asexual and aromantic identities um, are really not given space, um, and I'm really glad to have one of my best friends who kind of recommended that we talk about this, um, and I just kind of want to know if you can kind of give some definitions to asexual and aromantic identities and kind of talk about um, maybe some of the, the experiences that those folks may, may be encountering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, as we're talking about people like learning new terms and, and kind of the, the practice makes progress, it is important to, to, expand and look at our communities, to look at our uh, our flags, to look at everything mm-hmm. and go, you know, are we leaving some people out? And um, and ace folks have been left out in a lot of ways, uh, you know, from the conversation, from the movement, from the from the dialogue, um, definitely from the media, mm-hmm. um, and. So it's it's definitely one of those things where I, I'm really actually glad that you're bringing it up too because uh, it could be an episode on its own and, and definitely mm-hmm. should be since I don't identify as um, aromantic or asexual. So mm-hmm. you know, it would be great to get somebody who does. But as For a sure. sex educator, you know, we we talk about this all the time because one. You know, uh, folks that are asexual or uh, aromantic still are our customers and still mm-hmm. might have uh, various relationships to masturbation or to uh, relationships uh, with other people. So in the case of maybe being asexual, there are plenty of people that might still have a relationship with another person that might not involve sex mm-hmm. or um, that might involve masturbation uh, but not sex with their partner or might involve no masturbation. You know, there's there's so many different ways that one can identify with this um, that, you know, it's important for our staff and for our stores to all have that awareness um, as well. But also because 
as a movement, sex positivity often leaves out folks that are ace. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that in order to be sex positive means that you have to actually do all the things, which is not true at all. Um, somebody can be, you know, a virgin and still be incredibly sex positive. Mm-hmm. And somebody can be um, asexual and still be incredibly sex positive. Like, those things aren't hand-in-hand. Somebody can be... Um, you know, going through a, a period of non being uh, not being sexually active um, by choice or by disability or what have you, and still be an incredibly sex positive person. Um, and it's one of those things that um, if we put all the focus on sexual activity in order to to talk about sexuality, we're ignoring and and kind of. Uh, you know, just, yeah, I mean, basically just ignoring and a huge community of people that are affected by, uh, by this. And one more example of people finding each other and going, oh, I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my, my family thinks it's weird that I'm not dating or, you know, I really like this person but I, and I want to be with them, but I don't want to have sex with them. Does that mean that there's something wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Um, or I don't like men. I don't like women. <laughs> I don't know. Right. What, you know, and, and, and it's often these kind of questions or the pressure of society, you know, to find a date for prom or mm. to, um, you know, uh, eventually end up in a relationship that, that looks like it's long term or to, to have children or any of these things mm-hmm. that people are like, you know, it's just not for me. Um, and I think that the more that we break this archetype that we've been kind of, you know, given this cookie cutter lifestyle, um, the more that we start to see how expansive and diverse sexuality, sexual orientation, gender expression, gender identity all are, uh, the, the better we will all be by <laughs> learning those differences and not being so, you know, confined to, to what we've been given before. Did you know that one out of every three women identifying individuals have reported having painful sex within the last 90 days? There are so many reasons why people can experience this type of pain, and there's an incredible tool out there that can help. Meet Millie. Millie is a vaginal dilator for people with vaginas who have painful intercourse. Millie's single insertion, one millimeter at a time expansion puts the user in control. It can relieve physical pain from conditions like vaginismus, endometriosis, fibroids, cysts, IBS, surgery, chemotherapy, and emotional pain like anxiety, depression, and stress. Learn more about why so many women are choosing Millie at www.millimedical.com. Fatmata, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hi, thank you for having me, Danielle. I'm so happy you're in my apartment. We're going to chat about queer sex ed today. Yeah. It's going to be a great combo. You know, I am glad that this conversation is... I always have it, and so now it's cool to have it actually feel like it's not just in the confines of the coffee shop or my bedroom. You know? Oh, for so. sure. It's yeah. it's going out to the public. I know. Into the podcast sphere. Um, sweet. Let's start with you saying your name um, and sharing a little bit about your story, like where you grew up, okay. who you are. How do you introduce yourself to new peeps? Ah. Uh, 
I feel like I'm always adjusting how I do it every time, but yeah. um, my name is Fatma Daba. Um I am from a small, well, it's kind of a large city in uh, Maryland, PG County, um, and I am the only child of a West African mother and father, and uh, growing up, I was a very quiet, um, aloof kid. Still have those tendencies, but now being in New York, I've realized I really like talking to people. Oh yeah, they're everywhere. So. <laughs> they're everywhere. And so um, the talkativeness that I didn't have as a child, I now do because there's so many people to talk to and say the things I've had in my mind for so long. Yeah. Um, and so in being a peer health educator, it's just perfect because I'm paid to talk. Uh-huh. One of my favorite things. Um, but yeah talking about myself is always so hard because I'm like what else about me yeah um but if you don't find me at work you can find me at McNally Jackson or Housing Works or the library um love to read you're a reader yeah I really do and sometimes it's just being in that calm space where you know everyone's kind of like they have to like be quiet yeah right um that's the one rule <laughs> it's just shut up exactly and yeah. so i don't have to do the work can be that like obnoxious person shushing folks oh for sure so um either the library or museums that's like oh good one the yeah. leslie loman museum of lesbian and gay um, oh i haven't art. been there right like four minutes from work so immediately after sometimes i'm just like check it out just checking it out um such a lovely space um yeah, museums, tea, I like tea. Good, yeah. Tea, you know, medicinal properties there, caffeine from something other than coffee, which makes my stomach hurt. Mm, um, I also, yeah, I drink, I don't really drink coffee, and occasionally I'll get like an iced coffee with almond milk and sugar and just like feel <laughs> like a queen that day, and then I'll go crazy. Like let my like eyes get really I are darting and I'm just kind of like jittery and I'm like this is not good why do I keep doing this to myself imagine the folks that are like daily caffeine I don't get it consumers. my partner drinks like two to three cups of coffee every day black yeah. like oh. nothing in it and I'm like that's insane to that's me that's hardcore yeah but people people do it <laughs> they really do yeah moving right along so we want to know, how do you identify mm -hmm. in however many identities you want to share? Mm -hmm. And when did you realize that you identified in that way? Right. Okay. So I guess first things first is like, I'm always surprising myself with new things I learned because I feel like I'm un coming to understand identity is very fluid and it evolves. And so the person I was at, um, at like, 12 is not the person I am now at 22. Um, but I essentially identify as a queer non-binary femme. Um, and for me, what that means is in terms of queer, more so in terms of attraction. So for me, kind of my spiel is like, as long as someone respects me and we're capable of like building a healthy dynamic, then I'm always open to exploring a romantic relationship. Um, and non-binary, I've, I've, that's something I'm coming into now. Um, it's weird because growing up, my mom, <laughs> She thought I was a lesbian. It was unconfirmed, but she had her suspicions. Mm -hmm. um, she did not have evidence that was, you know, the evidence you look for. Sure. 
It was more so you wear your pants on your hips. Ooh, real women that's a wear their classic pants. lesbian. I didn't look. know. No, that. I'm just kidding. I don't know. No, it's right. silly. It's funny. And so, like, I was just not fitting these like indicators of what a proper young lady fits into. And so she was always like, "You're just too much of a tomboy." Mm. And for me, I was like, "I guess I'm just here. I'm really just here." And so for me. I feel feminine, but I don't necessarily feel that I am a woman. Mm. And that is something that I don't know how to break down for folks yet. And I think I'm still understanding for myself. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I'm like really, I'm like, I need labels sometimes to help me make sense of what it is that, or who it is that I am. Right. But then other times I'm like, maybe I don't want to pigeonhole myself or like have to use like an indicator. Yeah. When we still have time to understand and come into ourselves. But right. for now, just your friendly neighborhood, non-binary, <laughs> black, queer, femme. <laughs> That's a great quote. Um, yeah, and, and sometimes it just really depends on the day, right? Like, it just, yeah. however you're feeling, especially if, like, for me, it's like if people are coming in my face with, nope, not, not <laughs> that kind of coming. But anyway, if people are, like, coming at me is right. what I meant to say. Good thing this is a I sex ed podcast. This oh, is you, you like it? I love wow, it. I got to tell my everyone I know that you said that because that's literally what I dream about all the time, but I would I be terrified. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, when people are like being aggressive towards me, say, and are like, no, things are this way. I have very, I have very much inside of me to be like, no, that's not exactly what you think it is, you know, and break things down and be like, you're putting people in a box or whatever, like what have you. Um, I think it, it depends on the day for me to try to like, in terms of being an ally for like queer folks Mm -hmm. and like wanting to make sure that people are kind of put in their place with what they don't know and understand. And also at the same time, recognizing that like, since I'm not experiencing those things, it's kind of like a middle person of being like, no, you don't really know what you're talking about. Let me, if someone's willing to share their story with you, like connect you. Yeah. Or even like pointing people like, here's an Instagram. Yeah. Here's this that you can look at. Because I think another reason I'm so hesitant with like labeling myself or I'm scared of those labels is because... I think that we all have this idea of what a lesbian is mm-hmm. or what what queer is, right? Right. In terms of look and behavior. But everybody's not the same. It's kind of hard because I think a lot of times I have to tell people, like, behavior does not equal identity. So, like, you mm. can't always, like, pinpoint, like, okay, she's definitely gay because X, Y, and Z. Or he does this, so he might be that way. And so I think a lot of times when I express my identity folks are like trying to see all the ways that I tick certain boxes totally um which is not helpful or accurate and for me then it makes me feel like am I not x y and z enough am I not queer enough am I not femme enough and all these different things um and I, I totally understand you like it is not always like someone's job to break down information right when you're in the digital age and so much is accessible just google it really. and sometimes though they don't necessarily find the right things to google which right. is why we need to point get yeah accurate in information true stories from people who are willing and able yeah. to share them um yeah 
all the things. All the things. Um, okay, sweet. So what are you passionate about? Mm-hmm. And what do you think you want to do as a job or a, or a career, like long term? <sighs> I feel like there's always so much pressure to have it figured out oh, yeah. by like graduation of high school. Right. And um, for me, it's like evolved and shifted like three different times, but within kind of the same realm of work. But um, I've decided for sure, for sure, I want to be an educator. Yeah. Right? That is solidified. Everything else might move around, but I, for me, I really have grown to come to love the work that I do in talking to high schoolers about safer sex and healthy relationships and all these different aspects um, of sexuality. Um, Because I didn't have that growing up. Like, the talk my mom gave me was kind of like, don't let anyone touch you there. Mm -hmm. And that was it. So now I kind of associate my genitals as being like, a thing that are bad and they they should not be touched right right and then in school the conversation never was about sex and pleasure but more so about this is your internal anatomy that's all i can remember nothing right. else is memorable and that's a problem and so for me if i were an educator i think i'd really want to discuss like the depths of sexuality and like The things that, like, you struggle with and you Google in your bedroom because, like, you don't really have an outlet or community at the moment to talk about these things with and, like, air out these ideas. Um, And I also really love, like, uh, learning about culture, like, cultural anthropology and sociology, looking at, like, levels of economic status. And it's, like, all these things that I feel like... I just, I'm like, wow, I would have loved to learn this in school. I wish this was like an elective, right? Mm. Because these are all things that affect me. As it me, should be, right? right? And I would love to create a space where young people are welcomed and encouraged to explore like different concepts that affect them or like that they feel are applicable, right? We, we don't talk about... Um, when it comes to wellness, in my experience going to school, we didn't really talk about mental health, right? Mm. We talk about physical health, and that's kind of the end of it. Jumping jacks. Jumping jacks. <laughs> Kickball. Kickball. And health was, health was taught um, in middle school by our gym teacher. Yeah, it's that's not uncommon. Like, most people who learn health learn from their physical education teacher, which mm. does not make sense because people who study phys ed do not study sex ed and they're completely different skills. Yeah. And so then there's, there's stuff that you end up missing along the way and learn later in life, maybe through the internet or friends. And sometimes it's not or experience or experience. Right. And then not knowing how, maybe how to make sense of something or like moving through life with information that isn't correct. And then just kind of like being, being stuck with that until hopefully someone comes along and is like, no, yeah, that's not it for sure. Yeah, totally. Wow, I can't wait to see you be an educator. You're going to be a really good one. Thank you. Well, you and already are doing it, so you already are a great one. I'm sure. Thank you. You're and welcome. I will have you come along and like be like a little co-facilitator one, ah. a couple times because you have knowledge that like could be spread in yeah. the classroom. I yeah, I've like I also love like facilitating like workshops and classroom activities with kids like I've done that a lot and I think that there's a lot of power with being able to like be up in front of a bunch of kids and 
be able to teach them something right. really important about like themselves and identity and relationships. And there's so much opportunity that teachers have that they don't always use for good. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are a lot of wonderful teachers out there, obviously. Like if we wanted to talk about our favorite teachers who we had, we can spend an entire podcast thinking about that. Literally. Um, yeah. And the good ones I'm, and you are, I'm sure so appreciative of like the good teachers who really like are creative and thoughtful and, and it can make all the difference. Most definitely. Cause like high school is such a transformative period. Like Mm -hmm. It really was for me, and I think, like, looking back on it, if I had these other concepts to explore, I feel like maybe I would have been a a more secure adult right now. Yeah. Young adult, but, like, there's still time for that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Lots and lots of time. (laughs) Um... Okay, so this episode, as we already said, is all about queer sex ed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what was your sex ed like? You talked a little bit about it and how, you know, it was taught by your gym teacher. It was about internal anatomy. Um, I'm assuming here that it didn't really talk about queer things. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, hard no. No. Like, yeah. That's unfathomable. Like, I, it, it, it's, it's so funny because... It definitely didn't and I think it was kind of like that just straight assumption that like <laughs> straight assumption that everybody is straight right um and I kind of like I moved through life as a straight person for a long time yeah and um I just never thought anything of that like hey why isn't it inclusive or like hmm there are people in school that could benefit from this because again the assumption is everyone in school is straight with Mm. the exception of like a a few lgbtq youth that we knew and that was very very few Mm -hmm. right and Um, only a couple of them if any were out right at the time so it's hard to cater to folks who aren't out when the curriculum isn't inclusive in the first place exactly and i think as high schoolers we already have these misconceptions of what like queer sex looks like Mm -hmm. and so then if you're kind of if you hear those things being spewed you're not as likely to come out Mm -hmm. right and um kind of be like hey no chill right um, right or emphasizing the fact that like hiv is like a gay disease you know and like that was how it was introduced to me for sure a lot of people i remember my whole teacher was she was really sweet i like her mm-hmm. right <laughs> but, but i remember she put on a video talking about hiv um and this was the only sti that i recall discussing in school Mm -hmm. um again we did not talk about the act of sex we at most just talked about how to put on a male condom and internal anatomy and a bit of external yeah um but i remember she put on a documentary on hiv and the news clips or the news um reports were just saying how you know it spread from a flight attendant who was a gay man and like that had always cemented itself in my mind like i guess that was patient one or zero right i don't even know if that was it is not accurate and so for me now i always have to like shake that off and be like basically queer sex ed was non-existent right and it's something that i think even before i started working at the door i still didn't know what that could look like Mm -hmm. and it's not until like the past like 
three years that like with the internet at my disposal and with like elders that I've I've learned things that are like helpful and sure. necessary. Yeah, absolutely. God, school sex ed is so bad. It's so and bad. it needs to be better. And the memes about it are too accurate. I know. Like you can't even It's horrible. I mean, Mean Girls really hit the nail on the head. Like oh my. there hasn't been anything funnier or more poignant than that scene. And that happened ten years ago. Do you know Mean Girls came out ten years ago? That's outrageous because high school still feels like that. Yeah, pretty wild. High school right? culture. Yeah. You have sex and you die. Exactly. <laughs> you will get pregnant and die. Can we talk about mm-hmm. your role at the door as, and is your title peer health educator? Yes. Okay. Let's talk about what is the door? What do you do there? Do you love it? Tell us more. Okay. So the door is essentially a youth nonprofit, right? For anybody who's 12 to 24, um, 23 kind of being the age that you age out slowly. Um, but it's a space that has a whole bunch of different services, right? From college advising to mental health counseling, jobs and internships, um, benefit services and like applying, legal services, health center like transitional housing, all these different things that like as a young person, you are like struggling to get put in place, even as an adult, right? And so it really takes this like holistic approach to helping young people becoming self-sufficient and like well-rounded and gaining the skills that they need to be successful and just be supported. And so for me, I work in the health center at the door that has it's 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 kind of massive it's like your first time there when you're being given a tour you're just like ah yeah how am I gonna remember all of this stuff that's here but um it takes some time but that just goes to show that like we're so dedicated to like helping in different facets of one's life um but in the health center as a peer health educator um kind of some of my in-house duties like involve like uh going to host weekly groups um and so one of those groups is skittles an lgbtq group that i uh facilitate um that's one of our og lgbtq groups was there before me and so with that like we have just kind of like open discussions for like community members um who identifies lgbtq about like different things from like dating in the closet if you're in the closet or maybe dating someone in the closet and what does that look like and what are some reasons that we may not be out right um different things and we also have movie night so we'll watch movies like Tu Wong Fu or Priscilla Queen of the Desert and all these great like iconic films um and we also have groups like Gender Blender for gender non-conforming trans and gender expansive folk and like TVB top first bottom for guys into guys and like all of this revolves around education and having community in a space to maybe talk about things that like you 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 don't want to talk about on the internet anymore or like you want to speak on in this space where you know there's going to be as little judgment right yeah there's something powerful about connection also yeah especially i don't know how you feel like being in new york city but it's a little jarring for me being on the subway and there can be like i don't even know maybe like two to three hundred people that i see every day their face is completely in their phone. Their face is completely in their mm. phone. They're not even looking up. 
you can pass by as many people as you want, but you're not really actually connecting with anybody. Yeah. And that's hard for me to recognize being in such a big city, seemingly endless people, opportunities, relationships, etc., and you can't really make new friends unless like people are like there for a reason you know yeah like it's always very I feel like it always has to be very intentional like it's never by accident in my experience as well exactly I definitely relate to that yeah um so it's great because like there's a space where people can come and have these conversations um but also I um go around the space and like also have uh groups that just revolve around like safer sex practices or drugs and alcohol and so I'll go up in like the hangout space and then a center space and like I might bring my spinny wheel I might be your Vanna White for the next 30 <laughs> minutes and I'm gonna ask you about HIV and AIDS and quiz your knowledge and yes. if you know nothing before the start of this game you will know something by the end yeah that's kind of always my goal at least leave with something knowing the four fluids for exactly. transmission that's all I need you to know for yes. right now do you want to share them with our audience yes i actually part of me wishes i had the spinning wheel so i I know right you guys (laughs) (laughs) um but the four fluids that transmit um hiv are breast milk semen vaginal fluids and blood and also rectal fluid is like that fifth one that like kind of you want to throw in there yeah but um i just kind of learned that one did not know that. You learn something new every day. I, yeah, even honestly, as an educator. Even as an educator. And that's what I love because so many times I feel like the facilitation or the group is very collaborative because although I'm coming with the information, young people also give me so much more as well. Like For sure. It's, it's, a, it's a healthy exchange, I'd like to think. Yeah. And so outside of the space, um, me and fellow peer educators also do outreach. So that includes going to different high schools in all five boroughs or community organizations and um, either tabling and doing outreach about the door and our mission and our services or um, having a workshop, right, upon like whatever um, the staff member requested. So it could be on gender and sexuality. It could be on birth control, any of those topics. Amazing. Yeah. That's so great. Thank you so much for all the work that you do there. Thank you. It's incredibly important. Yeah. So now getting into the meat of this interview, which is what do schools in the U.S. need to include in their sex and health education curriculum in order to make it queer inclusive. So I think one of the first things is inclusivity training, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like there's it's very it, there's no way as an educator for you to come in and teach something but not have background on that thing, right? So if you're going to be teaching about like how sexuality is so expansive and there's different facets to it right it's important that you also receive that training yourself and support around that so you know how to approach the conversation in the classroom right Mm -hmm. um because a lot of times i think it's like teachers like would answer questions but they just don't know what to say they don't have the answers they don't have the answer and so it's very possible like if they shut it down incorrectly it can make a student feel like oh well sheesh what like i guess talking about gender and talking about like sexuality it's not something that i can do safely in this space right 
Um, and so one, I think educators need training, right? Inclusivity training. Um, two, I think the curriculum needs to be, I guess, restructured mm-hmm. where we look at, cause I used to think, God bless Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood put me on, but I used to think that, um, sexuality was just like who you were attracted to, mm-hmm. but that's just one part. Yeah. It includes your relationships with folks, right? Your family, your friends. It includes your, your relationship with yourself, how you view your body, body image, all these different things. And so I think really establishing a con like a concrete understanding and like this is sexuality, it is expansive, it mm-hmm. is all these different things, yes. right? Um, so that we can understand that. And then from there, just like discussing how um, look, genitalia does not equal gender. Right. That is a big one because then you start off the conversation letting people know, right? We're going to talk about people that have this anatomy, that have penises, and people that have vulvas, right? But your anatomy does not determine what gender you are. Yes. So that way when we go into the discussion, people understand that, okay, I'm not saying this is how all women have sex because not all women have the same parts. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like if that is established and the more that's repeated, like the seed is planted, right? Yeah. Even if someone is very hesitant to accept that that knowledge, right? The seed is planted and from there you've given the message and whatever happens after that, like you just know that you've you've done your part. Totally. And that's like leading by example, right? Like if yeah. your teachers are like inclusive and are using the right language and are making sure that like LGBTQ people are feeling included in the conversation, then students are going to feel that and they're yeah. going to feel more comfortable with their own bodies. They're going to feel more comfortable with their own questioning of their own identities. And especially middle school and high school students, like they don't know and that's okay. And yes. we need to tell them that like, part of this is like you know I'm however old the teacher is they're still figuring out their identity every day is different and they're on their own journey and their own path and like making sure that kids know that like it's okay if they don't have the answers exactly it's a lifelong process and Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of pressure to have that figured out at a certain point yeah um but it's like no you have time like Life is supposed to be a journey to be understood. Um, You don't have to rush that. Totally. Okay, let's see what else we got. So, as a queer person, as a queer young person, let's be specific here, um, (laughs) where do you get your sex ed if not from school? (laughs) I get it from, (laughs) I get it from very trusted sources on the internet. Um, (laughs) so a lot of it is like me typing into YouTube, like how to have safe queer sex. Yeah. Or like YouTube's a good one. It is such a good one. Like, um, Dr. Doe, AKA Sexplanations. Okay. Um, my work wife had put me on and it's just so helpful because she talks about all these great things. And so that's just one example of a resource. Um, also like instagram and like friends like when i'm feeling comfortable and like not being awkward about it but like really really just like instagram as well because there'll be like people that maybe a kink blog that a friend will follow and then from there i'll follow that and then look in deeper into the people involved and like absorb their knowledge that they give on different forums and whatnot yeah like 
the cool thing about the internet nowadays is people link to other people. Yeah. So it's not just like individual sites and profiles anymore. It's like a tree of information. And like, that's what's so cool about, especially the queer community and learning about queer sex is like, you can literally hashtag like queer sex on Twitter and on Instagram. And there are Mm -hmm. so many different things and people and events and ideas that like can pop up. Yeah, and I think that's what I love about it. Like, um, even, even like when it comes to ideas of, around sex, like if I'm not on the internet, I might be like again talking to a friend, and and I don't know. It's just I think I'm still like a little iffy about like asking people information about sex unless it's like an elder. Right. So like I also like have. Um, older LGBTQ folk that like I trust and I'm like hey like I had a question like me and a friend were talking about x y and z and we were wondering if that's actually true or if there are other ways to do it yeah and because they're older because they have experience because they're also in community health and like public health they have better answers than mm-hmm. sometimes we do totally so. yeah I love that and especially like I feel like elders in the queer community have their own kind of like space and like spot on the stage to like really do teaching that's at least like what I've heard from my queer friends um especially like in the drag community or you know in certain like niche niche like parts of the queer community oh yeah where I think that's like really beautiful and really cool I agree I agree um amazing so what do you think older people <laughs> uh, speaking of elders, but older people who aren't helpful or are kind of don't have like the right quote unquote the right idea about queer people, maybe they're like bigoted or maybe they uh, just don't have the information or have never met a queer person or have never even like seen any movies or TV shows with queer people or read any books with queer people, you know like pretty misinformed, miseducated folks mm-hmm. who I find typically who are speaking about the, these things to be older mm-hmm. and to be non-queer people. <laughs> In my experience, they're probably young people. Right. There definitely are because this is America and we understand who is president currently. <laughs> but, um, you know, I guess my question is, what do older people not understand about young queer identifying people that you would like to teach them? Right. Huh. There's so much. <laughs> so much. Um, What's like top on your list? Top on my list, I think, is just a sense of humanity. Mm. Because really, if you... I don't want... Oh, how do I wear this? Okay. So I think it's important to keep in mind that you are a human being and I am a human being and there are just some things that I think are essential like respect and understanding right um even if we live our lives in different ways identify in different ways it doesn't take away that like all humans are in need of sympathy and compassion and just respect I really think is what it boils down to um for older people what I would tell them is that look there was a status quo, right? There's a binary enforced. And our generation is realizing and understanding that it's not healthy and mm. it's not helpful. And we're choosing not to follow with that, right? right? And um, and that's okay. And I think a lot of times when you deviate from 
the often taken path, people get scared because they're like, you're being defiant and right. you're living this crazy lifestyle. And it's like, there's no correct way to live, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's no correct way to go about getting an education. There is no correct way to finding your identity. There's no correct way to like, it's just like, it's limiting and people our generation, I think we're tired of being limited. Yes. And so, I don't know. I feel like I'm like all over the place, but I think that's just, just remember that we're human beings and, you know, we just wanted to, we just wanted to be happy. I think we're just, we just want to be free. We want to feel free. Like we can be our most authentic, genuine self. You are and such a wise soul. Has anyone told you this? What? Yeah. yeah. Have people told you that? Um... I've gotten that sentiment, yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's so great. I feel so, like, calm. It's really nice. Yo, I, <laughs> I, I'm so convinced in another life, I was just, like, a cat. I tell people I love that. that. I was just a cat. I also am definitely a cat out of the <laughs> cat-dog situation. Oh, So I really I love other cat people. Yeah. Yeah. This is why this works. <laughs> this is why this is great. Okay, a more fun question. Okay. We have two questions left. Gotcha. Um... Who are your queer icons at the moment and why? Ah. Like, who do you look up to? Oh, my God. I was, <laughs> I was just looking at her Instagram on the train here. Please. Um, who? Their name is Erica Hart. Oh, my gosh. Yes. We were trying to get Erica Hart oh on my God. this podcast, but they didn't respond. So that's okay. They're very busy and of famous. Course. Yeah. Your favorite, like, plant person, non-binary femme. I love them so much because, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, they're not even here, and I'm fangirling. Um, <laughs> Just thinking about them. Exactly. It's ridiculous. Um, I love Erica so much because they not only talk about queerness and, like, acceptance, but also how that intersectionality. They look at race and gender and sexuality and have those both in the conversation because you cannot talk about one without the other mm-hmm. um and i think for me erica obviously everyone is human and on their own path and nobody is like has the the key as dj khaled says but like for me with where erica is at and what i see they personify freedom and mm. just comfort right being comfortable in one's skin and not allowing other people to dictate who you are Mm. so for instance they have a post where they were discussing how they did an interview for i think a sexual health magazine and um they were like kind of reading back over the interview oh i saw this yeah and the person kind of changed their title from sex educator to um sex positive influencer and miss miss like use the wrong pronouns right and i just thought that was crazy because they mentioned how like um as a black sexual health educator how sometimes the work you do is not seen in the same light as that of maybe a a white sexual health educator and Mm -hmm. how um i don't know that just really kind of got to me 
in the sense that my mom always used to say, and I would be so defiant against it. She would say, oh, Fatima, in this world, you have to work like five times harder. And I was like, no, because my work is just as valid as everyone else's and I shouldn't have to work hard to prove myself, but not really understanding what she meant at the time by that. And um, Erica just kind of like, kind of brought that to light more. And I just, I love the fact that they don't hold their tongue. And I think I'm always very scared. Yeah to say out. how I feel because I always want to be either politically correct or right. agreeable to all mm-hmm. and having and like I'm trying to get into a space where I can understand that like my truth doesn't have to be agreeable it is my truth mm-hmm. right and and it is what it is yeah um, being likable is overrated I think it really it's so tiring yeah and it's really hard to like keep it up you know oh, to yeah. really make sure you're saying the right thing all the time and you're making sure everyone like obviously the the whole point is to like make sure that everyone is respected that's yeah. like the baseline importance but also like having your own opinions and like saying like fuck you to something you really don't like yeah should happen exactly and i think that's why oh my god i love erica yes i think that's why for me erica hart and audrey lord will mm. forever be in my canon of like just I don't know what what do, I, what do I want to call this canon of folks my canon of like badass motherfuckers that like yes. I I want to like learn from mm. um because Audrey Lord I can say the same for right looking at intersectionality and not holding one's tongue and and doing it in such an eloquent but like fuck you kind of way um yeah I just feel like anytime I'm drained or like I'm I'm tired, mm-hmm. I will go back and like I'll I'll read Audrey Lord's work or I might might be like, you know what, we need to read some like Alice Walker or Bell Hooks or something to like restore me and, and so I had to give it to Audrey and Erica. I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Again, very old and wise soul <laughs> you have. And it's really it's it's very touching the way you like talk about them and like how you look up to them. Aww. I think it's beautiful. Um, so the last question that I have for you mm-hmm. is how can allies, friends and family of queer youth support them, especially in this political climate? Right. This one is, is a question I think I struggle with because I don't need, like for me, I don't even know how to ask for what I need. And sometimes I struggle with identifying what it is that I need. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think baseline, what would be helpful is like a white flag, right? Letting me know that I'm here for you. Mm. I may not understand, but I'm open and willing to learn, right? Um, and if there's anything you want to talk about and if you need support, I can be that for you. And I think that's the first step. Because if you don't know that you have a person to go to, or if you don't know if that person's in your corner, you're not going to go to them. Right. But until that's been established, then you know, okay, there's a resource I need. Um, and I think just checking in with that person and being like, what are your needs? Um, is like the first, the first thing. Because everyone's needs are going to be different. And your needs will change over time, right? What might have been helpful this month might not be as helpful two months from now. Totally. Just the constant kind of check-in. Check-in. Yeah. And, and that will indicate to someone that, like, okay, there's concern and there's care and compassion, right? 
you don't have to understand everything. And I think that is one thing that sometimes scares people off is like, I don't know enough like to be there. Mm -hmm. That's a gay issue and I'm not gay. So I can't, I can't be a person for you, but it's like, no, you just need to listen. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's all people need. Self-care is super important to us here at Sex Ed with DB. Luckily, we found a partner who cares about it just as much as we do. Say hey to Sweet Vibrations. Sweet Vibrations is an adult boutique out of sunny San Diego that encourages young people to educate themselves about sexual wellness and improve overall health. Everyone deserves their O, and Sweet Vibrations is committed to helping you find yours. All four of their buzzing beauties are under 50 bucks, so you don't have to break the bank. Go to www.sweetvibes.toys to buy yours today. Buzz, buzz. Is that a vibrator I hear? Nope, that's Millie. And if you've ever had painful intercourse, then this vaginal dilator may be just what you're looking for. Millie is an easy to use, 100% BPA-free silicone dilator with optional, gentle vibration and user-controlled in-vagina expansion. Millie enables you to gradually increase size without having to deal with the sometimes awkward and painful stages in between dilator sizes. Millie has a range of 14 to 40 millimeters and expands one millimeter at a time. That's like having 26 standalone dilators. And in the spirit of Marie Kondo, no one needs that many dilators. Learn more about Millie at milliemedical.com. Our creator, producer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our assistant producer is Kathy Cohen. Our graphic illustrator is Alana Rance. Our sound engineer is Oliver Devone. Our fundraising co-coordinator is Jamie Cooper. And our other fundraising co-coordinator slash content assistant is Callie Cochran. Our music is by Ben Sound and Hook Sounds. Thank you so much to our featured voices, sponsors, and our listeners. Tune in next time.